Praise the Lord. Thank you so very, very much. Take your Bibles tonight, if you would please, and turn with me to Exodus in chapter number 3. Exodus in chapter number 3. Exodus in chapter number 3. I want to speak to you on the subject tonight, Moses, three objections. Moses, three objections. God had a plan for Moses' life. God has a plan for my life and for your life. And the temptations that we face, the Bible says, are common to man. The men in the Bible were men of like passions, the Scripture tells us. And the things that tempted them would tempt you and I. And I want us to learn tonight from God's dealing with Moses. Exodus in chapter number 3, stand with me please for the reading of the Word of God. Follow with me if you would as I read. In just a moment we'll come and read a text together. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. For he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. I am come down and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Drop down to verse 10. Come now therefore and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. That thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Egypt. Read verse 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee. Read verse 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. Read me with me, if you would, chapter 4 and verse 1 and 2 together, please. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And drop down to verse number 10 and read aloud with me. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Now turn to chapter 4. And I'll read two delicate verses. I'll read them to you. Verses 24 and 25. Exodus 4, verses 24 and 25. And it came to pass by the way in the end that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. 
Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. I want to speak tonight on Moses' three objections. Father, please, through the power of the Holy Spirit, let me convey that which you've laid upon my heart in the reading and meditating of thy word. Lord, you want us fully surrendered to thee and to your purpose for our lives. And would you bring to light something maybe tonight in Moses' life that would help us to be more, more fully surrendered to thee and to thy will and purpose for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Back in chapter 3, where we begin our scripture reading tonight, we find Moses uh, on the backside of the wilderness keeping sheep. Now, let me give you some context here. Uh, There is uh, some history uh, before this occasion, of course. Moses was born at a time where the Pharaoh of Egypt had decreed that all the male children should be killed. And uh, the idea of abortion and infanticide is not a new idea. And it's just as heathen and sadistic and wicked as it has ever been. And uh, Pharaoh decreed that because the nation of Israel who were enslaved to the Egyptians, uh, were growing. God was blessing them, and they were multiplying, just as God had promised to Abraham and his descendants. And so Pharaoh said, kill all the male children, or they're going to be more of them than us, and they'll overwhelm us. And, and Moses was born during that time. His mother took him and hid him as long as she could until she put him in a basket of bulrushes and floated him down the Nile River, the providential hand of God. God is a providential God, but he has a sense of humor too. The providential hand of God steered that little basket all to a place where, to a little place there, where the water was shallow and where, uh, uh, where Pharaoh's daughter was there at the edge of the water. And someone noticed the baby and heard the baby cry. And his sister Miriam was hidden uh, not far away. Far away, and those Egyptian ladies came, and Pharaoh's daughter took the baby and said, Oh my, it's an abandoned child. And immediately she loved the child, and she said, I want to rear the child as my own, adopt the child as my own, but I wonder who will nurse the child. And Miriam popped out of the bushes. She said, My mama can nurse the child. And she said, your mama would do that for me. She said, my mama would do that for you. She said, I'll pay her well. Oh, she'll do it for you. God paid Moses' mother to take care of his own, her own child. Doesn't God have a good sense of humor? Amen. And, uh, and then when he was winged, of course, he went to the palace and he grew up in Egypt and grew up as an Egyptian, dressed like Egyptian, learned the Egyptian language. The Egyptian customs was educated as an Egyptian and was presumed to be a part of the royal family and have a history of influence in that great empire. But God had a different plan for Moses. And the Bible said when Moses came to years, listen carefully, when Moses grew up, When Moses matured, young people, listen to me carefully. Maturity is not an age. You're not mature because you're 18 or 19, 20. I know some 40-year-olds. I know some some men my age, very young, 52, very young. That never grew up. Never grew up. And the Bible tells us you take the passage in Exodus, you compare it to Hebrews chapter 11, and you'll find out the Bible said Moses came to years when he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Somewhere in there, what his mama had put in him as just a little boy never left him. 
And he grew up one day and he said, I don't belong in Egypt. I don't belong in the things of the world. And he cast his lot with God's people, though it meant turning his back on a fortune and a life of privilege. He walked away from it to identify with God's people. He wanted God to use him. But he wasn't ready. He played the part of a vigilante and a man died as a result of that. And he had to flee for his life and wound up in a place called Midian. Now, the Midianites were descendants of Abraham and his wife Keturah. They were not atheistic. They were monotheistic. They believed and worshipped the one true God. Their beliefs were not uh, completely synonymous with, with uh, the belief system of the, of the Jews, of the Israelites, but they believed in the one true God. So these were maybe what you and I would call God-fearing people, though they did not believe exactly like Moses believed, and, but they were god fearing uh, people. Moses finds himself uh, on the backside of the desert and he meets a, a girl named Zipporah and she is one of seven daughters of a priest there in Midian. This is a God-fearing home and a God-worshipping home. He begins to keep sheep and takes up there and uh, begins to, to build a family. Then one day, as he's keeping his sheep now to our text in chapter 3, he's there on the backside of the desert, and the Bible said the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire. God was trying to get Abraham's attention. Amen? God ever tried to get your attention? He's pretty good at doing that, isn't he? God's trying to get Abraham's attention, and the Bible said that in verse number 2 there, that he looked uh, uh, Abraham's attention. Uh, he got Abraham's attention too. Moses' attention. Amen. Just, just listen to what I'm thinking, not what I'm saying. Amen. And Moses uh, looked in verse number 2. The Bible said he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside. I want a closer look. I will turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not Burn. I want to understand more. And when the Lord saw, now notice this, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. I hear people say, I tried to read the Bible, couldn't get anything out of it. Did it ever dawn on you that that might have something to do with your level of interest in the things of God? Did it ever dawn on you that maybe the great secrets of the Bible, the truths of God's Word, that God wants to teach you and God wants you to understand that He wants a little more than just a casual relationship with you before He opens up the pages of His precious Word to you? The Bible said you'll find when you search for Him diligently, He will be found of you. Moses turned aside to see this great sight. And when he did, verse 4 says... When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. In the verses that follow, God calls Moses. Moses got a purpose for you. I want you to go back after these 40 years to, to Egypt. And I want you to go to Pharaoh. And I want you to tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, by adoption, he's going to face somebody that's a near relative to him. You understand this? And uh, he gives an objection. He says here in chapter 4, he said, uh, Well, Lord, what am I going to do? I tell him that I'm coming on your behalf and, and, and what if they don't believe me? 
They won't believe me. Nor hearken. They won't listen to me. But they'll simply say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. So his first objection is this. Lord, I know you've called me, but they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to listen to me. Now, let me say this, my dear friend. Where God calls, God provides. Amen? And whether folks listen or not, that's not the point. God didn't call Pharaoh to listen. God called Moses to tell. Amen? And he gives this objection, and God said to Moses in verse number 2, And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? He said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. I have a sneaking suspicion he didn't really want to do that. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Another miracle takes place, and God tells him to take his hand and put it in his bosom, I think, here next to his heart. And there's some symbolism there, I I think, between the condition of the hand and the condition of the heart and some consistency. There's a lesson there to be taught. But God told him, put your hand in your bosom. And he pulled it out and it's filled with leprosy. He said, put it back in again. And he pulled it out a second time. And all it was clean again. And he said, you, you can tell them that. And they'll believe that, that you're from me. And he said, if that didn't work, he said, I'll, I'll do another miracle for you. And, uh, and, and you can take some water and pour it on the dry land. And it'll turn to blood. And, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and Moses said, okay, well, I can't argue with that. I, I, miracles, Two miracles I've seen and one promise." So he gives a second objection. Verse 10. And Moses said to the Lord, uh, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent. I'm not eloquent. I'm not the most qualified. I'm not the best speaker. May I say, my dear friend, God doesn't need eloquence. Uh, uh, God doesn't need wit. God doesn't need personality. God doesn't need good looks. Thank God that He doesn't need good looks. Uh, God doesn't need good looks. Uh, uh, But he needs yielded vessels. Amen. Now, God might use good looks, but not because we're good looking. And many of us are. Uh, Sorry. And humble too to boot. Uh, We we might have a little smarts, might have a little talent, might have a little personality. That's not why God uses us. He uses us because we're yielded and obedient to Him. God shows Moses. God, uh, Moses argues with God a little more. He said, I'm not eloquent. He said, I don't talk well. And, and God came, I don't think it was God's first choice. I don't believe it for a moment it was God's first choice. But he said, Moses, I'll give you your brother Aaron and he can be your spokesman. And I'll speak to you, speak to Aaron. Aaron can speak to the people since uh, you don't speak well. Basically, he said, I'm inadequate. That's what he was saying. I'm inadequate. I don't feel qualified. I don't think I'm qualified. Can I, can I say this? If you're not qualified, if you're inadequate, don't you think God already knows that? Don't you think God knows? Do you think you need to inform God? You know, God, I'm not that smart. Don't you think God already knows that? <laughs> yes, He knows that. But God has not chosen the wise. He's chosen the foolish things, the Bible said, of this world to confound the wise and weak things to confound the mighty. Why? Because God gets the glory when He uses weak vessels. Amen. 
You come in your weakness. You come in your inadequacy and put that objection aside and just say, Lord, I'm not all that I need to be and I I feel so inadequate and I don't know as much as I want to know and as I wish I knew and I need to know. But Lord, the best I know how I give my life and I present my life to you. You save my soul. Now let me be used of God and find some way to yield your life to the Lord. Put your life on the altar and I promise you God will plug you in and use you. We come now to a third and quite delicate objection. When Moses said, they won't believe me, God gave him a rod. And the rod became the symbol of his authority. When he said, I'm not eloquent, God gave him Aaron to help him. But in this third objection, God deals harshly with Moses. Go back to the passage with me, if you would, please, in chapter 4. The Bible said in verse 18, And Moses went and returned to Jethro his father-in-law, said unto him, Let me go, I pray thee. And return unto my brethren which are in Egypt and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. So these two first objections have been dealt with. But there's a third one about to be revealed. And his father-in-law Jethro said, go in peace. And the Lord said unto Moses in Midian, go return into Egypt for all the men that are dead which sought thy life. From the, from the uh, death of the Egyptian taskmaster 40 years earlier. And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. So he was on his way. And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand, the, the rod, the, the serpent, and so forth. But know this, Moses, I will harden his heart that he shall not let the people go. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, speaking of the nation, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. Now look at me, look at me. Moses is on his way, his wife, his sons, and a donkey, to do the will of God. And on the way, Moses comes that close to being slain by the God who's sending him. Look at the story again. And it came to pass, by the way, in the end, that the Lord met him, Moses, and sought to kill him, Moses. Then Zipporah, that's his wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. Moses' third and final objection that God had to deal with was this. Moses had made the decision, I'm not going to have my son circumcised. He said, Pastor, why is that important? All the way back in the book of Genesis, in Genesis in chapter uh, number 17, God had told Abraham 
that this would be the sign, the evidence of the covenant between me and thee uh, 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 and your seed after you that every man child among you shall be circumcised. It was a, a badge of faith and confidence in the Lord. There is a spiritual application in the New Testament. Basically, it is a picture of how we should not trust in the flesh, but trust in the living God. And God said, I want something personal, and I want something for every man in, the, in my nation. I want you dedicated to me. I don't want you to trust in the arm of the flesh. That's why God dealt with Moses so harshly when he numbered the people. He said, I want your confidence to be in me, and uh, I want this to be unique unto the nation of Israel, and I want, I want you to know, and I want all to know that you are consecrated to me, that your faith is in Jehovah the, the true and the living God. And Moses had found exception with God's clear mandate for his people. You see, this was a bigger issue to the Lord than it was to Moses. Somehow Moses had justified this negligence. He is on his way with his wife, with his sons to fulfill God's call in his life and God's ready to kill him by roadside in. I believe, as we read this text, that Moses was caught between the Lord's command and his wife's disapproval. Now you might think, shame on Zipporah. Obviously, she had expressed her disapproval and justified it, at least in her own mind. Her father, after all, was a priest. She again... She was not atheistic. She, was, she believed in one true God and her family. She was brought up that way. Her father was a priest. She grew up in a, a God-fearing home. And it was not their custom as Midianites to perform this rite on their sons. So she didn't see the importance of it. Perhaps she was dug in on the matter. Perhaps she said to Moses, you're not doing that to my sons. And heretofore, Moses had acquiesced. But it was Moses that God sought to kill. Not his son, not his wife. It was Moses. God held Moses responsible for this negligence. What excuse was Moses to use exactly to justify his disobedience? Well, my wife won't let me, Lord. I don't think that would fly. 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5, If a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? God had an eternal purpose for His people, and He wanted to use Moses to help fulfill it. But Moses must come to the place of full surrender, identifying as consecrated, holy to the Lord God Jehovah, Without any exceptions. Now let me say something. And listen, this is one of the biggest things I want to say in this message. Just because something doesn't seem like it's a big deal to you doesn't mean it's not a big deal to God. We're living in a day of Christianity where folks want to pick and choose what they think are important topics. Listen, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, whether it's something you think is a big deal or something you think is a small thing. When God speaks, God speaks and God's people ought to listen. 
God knew this rift between Moses and his wife before he ever called Moses. But I believe that God believed Moses would on this issue finally land on his feet, so to speak, and in the end, Moses did, though it nearly cost him his life. The Bible does not record the conversation between Moses and his wife, but the result is recorded. Moses was nigh to death. Zipporah is the one who actually performed the rite, the ritual of circumcision. Presumably because Moses was too sick, even unto death, the Bible says. And so she did it. But the wording, as you recall, gives evidence that she did it, but under protest. She wasn't happy about it. The result within the family was a temporary separation. Moses went on to Egypt and Zipporah and the boys went back to Grandpa's house. It would not be until much later, after many miracles, after the Red Sea crossing, after the manna, after the water from the rock, after the quail, after the miracles had spread around and got back to Jethro on the backside of the desert, that dad said, sweetheart, God's hand is on your husband and it's time the two of you reconcile. After the miracles, they would meet again in the wilderness and be reconciled. May I give a warning tonight, my dear friend. As God's people, we must beware the attitudes that overtly or inadvertently paint our God as harsh. We're living in a day and time, and I believe it's indicative of the age of Christ's soon return. He says, in the last days, men shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. We don't want a a hellfire and damnation sermon. We want someone to tickle our ears. There's a reason why these new perversions of the Bible. I believe my old King James Bible is divinely inspired and preserved of God Almighty. I believe it with all my heart. There's a reason why these many new versions dumb down sin. Get you an NIV and look for the word fornication. You'll be there a long time looking for it. You know why? Because that's a strong word. And it has strong negative connotations. But it's a word that God uses. It's a Bible word. The attitude today is that those who preach hell as hot and sin as black are judgmental, intolerant, and harsh. I asked you, was God harsh when He said there's a lake that burns with fire and brimstone? Was God harsh when He said that hell is a pit? Is it a, when God said it's a place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched? When He said it's a place where the rich man in Luke 16 cried out and said, Father Abraham sent Lazarus to dip his finger in water and just a drop of water on my tongue to cool me because I'm tormented in this flame. Are you suggesting somehow that your level of morality and your sense of justice 
is greater than an almighty God who chose an eternal hell fire that burns with fire and brimstone where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched where those who die without Christ and reject His love and His sacrifice are cast into an eternal hell. Who are you to say God is harsh? Those hell verses aren't just to scare people and to get saved. They're there to tell you the truth of God's hatred and judgment against all unrighteousness. You read the Old Testament. You find in Exodus 19.13 that if one was to touch the border or the boundary of the mountain of God while Moses was up in that mountain doing his holy business with God, brought the death penalty. You'll find in Exodus 21 in verse number 29 that the willful neglect to contain a dangerous animal that caused the death of another meant capital punishment with an option to ransom your own life at the discretion of the grieving family. If you had a dangerous animal, and you did not contain it, and it killed someone else, that it was capital punishment, unless the grieving family said, we'll let you pay a a fee instead. Exodus 15, 36, a man was giving capital punishment for picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. Exodus 31, 14, 15, and 16, we learn that defiling the Sabbath brought the death penalty. We find in Exodus 21, 17 that cursing your parents under the Old Testament law brought the death penalty. We find in Exodus 21, verse number 15, striking your parents brought the death penalty. We find in Leviticus 24, 15 to 16, cursing God and blaspheming the name of the Lord brought the death penalty. We find in Leviticus 24, 21, murder brought the death penalty. Exodus 21, 16, kidnapping brought the death penalty. Leviticus 27, 9, taking things devoted to God. Uh, case in point, Achan's sin, uh, when they took the city of Jericho, all that was in Jericho was to be consecrated to God. It was uh, dedicated unto him, and Achan's sin was taking that which was devoted to God, and he and his family faced the death penalty. Leviticus 27, 9 mandates it. In Leviticus 20, verse number 10, adultery. Brought the death penalty. In Leviticus 20 and verse number 2, child sacrifice brought the death penalty. In Leviticus 20 verse 13, homosexuality brought the death penalty. In Leviticus 20 verse 15, bestiality brought the death penalty. In Numbers 1, 51 and chapter 3 and verse 10 and chapter 3 and verse 38, approaching the holy things of God irreverently. Such a case in point, Uzzah, when he touched the Ark of the Covenant, sin presumptuously, coming irreverently to the things of God, treating them lightly, presuming to touch the Ark of the Covenant, brought the death penalty. Listen, I'm trying to submit to you tonight that we serve a holy God who cannot look upon sin and He judges sin and He's the same God yesterday, today and forever. This casual Christianity that we find like a plague creeping over our nation. said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Live however you want to. Just put a bumper sticker that says, Honk, if you love Jesus, you'll be all right. I got news for you, my dear friend. God still feels about sin the way He ever felt about sin. 
And I'll just say this. Thank God tonight that you and I do not live under that Old Testament law. Thank God for grace. Hallelujah. Much of us that are be in heaven. This God is harsh mantra is in reality the idolatry of self-will. The crowd that wants to pay old-fashioned fundamentalism, Bible-believing Christianity, old hellfire and damnation, sold-out, separated type of Christianity, as, uh, as uh, intolerant and, uh, and, uh, and narrow-minded. I got news for you, my dear friend. Uh, you, you, may, you may say, well, that, you, you, you're just so harsh. I got, I got a question for you. Where'd you get your standards? I got, I got chapter and verse for mine. How about you? The Godish harsh mantra is in reality the idolatry of self-will. I want what I want and I will have it. And how dare you say I'm wicked when all I want to do is enjoy life. In other words, enjoy my sin. Someone says what kind of God would have a man killed for cursing his parents? A holy God. You see, God's holiness says, don't touch. God's justice says, you touched, and I could kill you for that. God's mercy says, I'm not going to do it, though. His forbearance says, I'm pulling the reins of my chastisement. And His grace says, I'm giving you another chance to do the right thing. The point is not that God killed Uzzah for touching that which was holy. The point is not that God uh, uh, killed Achan for taking that which was devoted to God, as some of God's people did today. It's The point is not that God killed the man who picked up sticks for disregarding his covenant with God. The point is not that God killed the children who cursed their parents and disrespected God's representative authority in their home. No, the point is that he didn't kill me and he didn't kill you for the same things because in his justice he could have, but he didn't because his mercies are new every morning and it weren't for his mercies new every morning. The Bible said we all be concerned. The degree of our consecration to a holy God can be measured by our hatred for sin. People talk about tolerance. Like it's a virtue. We're the the dumbest things. Dumbest things. We talk about diversity like it's a virtue. Diversity. Diversity. Diversity just means different. Tennis shoes and high heels are different. Diversity is not a virtue. And tolerance is not a virtue. The people who cry tolerance are some of those intolerant people in our society. Tolerance for sin is veiled disdain for holiness. Our allegiance to God should be based on our knowledge of Him. Listen to this statement. Our allegiance to God should be based on our knowledge of Him, not our understanding of Him. Knowing what God wants and understanding why He wants it are not the same thing. Zipporah grew up in a God-fearing home. And I'm, I'm quite sure that it was a little bit of a rub. Moses, 
not sure this was the smartest thing for him to do. But he names his children. And let's see if I can find where that is. He 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 names his children. And uh, his first son. I'm just going to make up some names because I can't find them just now. Uh, I tell you what they mean. I I can tell you the meanings. His first son names means stranger in a foreign land. That's what his first son's name means. Exodus 18. Just I had it in my notes here. If this is not it, then. Yeah, it is. Exodus 18. Look at it real quick. When Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. That incident at the roadside inn where Moses almost died at the hand of God, and Zipporah finally said, in disgust, okay, I'll, do the, I'll be obedient. And, and then she packed up and took the boys and went back to dad's house. Missed out on the parting of the Red Sea. Missed out on the water from the rock. Missed out on the man. All that. Jethro finally said, it's time to go back. Honey. It's time for you all to reconcile. God gives us the boys' names in verse 3. And her two sons, of which the name of one was Gershom. For he said, I've been an alien in a strange land. Mo- look at me. Moses main- named his son, I'm a stranger in a foreign land. Now, I, gotta, I gotta, just got to imagine that was probably a little bit of a rub for Jethro and Zipporah. You know, Brother Hamilton came from the north. He, he, he came from New York. He's a Yankee. God forgave him a long time ago. Don't worry. Now, he's a Yankee, and he married the hillbilly of hillbillies in this church. Her favorite song is Rocky Top, Tennessee. I mean above amazing grace, above how great thou art. I'm speaking the truth, am I not? It would be sort of like marrying, Brother Hamilton marrying Miss Cecily Hamilton and naming their boys Yankee and Doodle. And it, Yankee, Doodle. And every time, Miss Hillary go, oh, I can't believe he named Marble was Yankee and Doodle. I, you know, I can't help but think that Jethro probably felt that way every time he heard Gershom. Basically, every time he calls his name, son's name, he said, we don't belong here. That's what he's saying. We don't belong here. These are not our people. Son, don't ever forget, Gershom, you don't belong here. These are not... Now, that'd be a little tough to take, wouldn't it? Huh? Then he names the second one Eliezer, which says, which means my God is is a, is a help. So here's his boys. We don't belong here, but God's helping us. <laughs> that had to be a little bit of a rub. Now that, God doesn't give us a lot of details about the conflict between Moses and Zipporah, but I know one thing. She was not happy about God's mandate to demonstrate your complete consecration to me. 
by having these boys circumcised. There's not really a hint that Moses was against it in the Bible, but obviously it caused some conflict in the home. And obviously Moses acquiesced. God said, Moses, if you think you're going to lead others to follow me, and you're not going to follow me holy, you think again. Yes, I chose you, and yes, I want to use you, and yes, you're on your way to complete the mission. But if you don't get this thing right tonight, I'm killing you and finding somebody else. And while Moses lay on his sickbed, he said, Wifey, we got to get this right. And she did it. She did it. Kudos to her, right? She did it under protest. But she did it. And you know what happens? They got reconciled. They got reconciled. And I believe God blessed their their home in the years to come. Moses did not necessarily understand why it was so necessary. Zipporah certainly did not understand why. But my point tonight is this. We don't need to understand why God wants us to do everything He wants us to do. We just need to know what He wants us to do and do it. The Bible said in John seven seventeen, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. Amen. You want to understand the why? Get busy doing what you're supposed to do. Proverbs sixteen three: Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Commit what you do, your works to the Lord, and your thinking on what you do will be established. Notice the works, then the thoughts. In Psalm 111.10, A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. Those things in your Christian life that you're waiting to obey because you don't really understand why that's important are the very reasons that God can't pour out His blessing and power on your life. How are you going to explain to your little child why he needs to pick up his socks? Your own husband didn't even understand that. Can I get a witness tonight? But you know, if you want to please mommy, you pick up your socks, don't you? And you may not understand all that's preached from that book right there and all the things you read in that book. And here in an old-fashioned fundamental Baptist church. But as soon as you realize something's in that book, you ought to get on your face and say, God, I don't understand it, but I'm willing to do it because I love you and I want to please you. The final objection was overcome, but it was a close call, wasn't it? But no man has ever been more greatly used of God than Moses. He struggled. I don't know about you, but that comforts me a little bit. Moses struggled to do the right thing. But in the end, he did, and God used him. Let's stand together. Father, for those things in our own personal...